The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Align and awaken with Mother Earth Rising podcast. Let's rise and heal together with me, Pippa, your Mother Earth healer. Hi guys, welcome back to the show. I think this interview is probably one of the most exciting ones that I'm, I can't wait to do this one. So I am with the beautiful Sarah Bowen. She is an award-winning author, animal chaplain and multi-faith spiritual educator. So this is going to be an amazing interview. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Pippa. <laughs> Honestly, it's the most exciting one. I've been so excited to talk to you all week. Likewise, I think we're going to get into some juicy stuff today. We are. So first for the listeners, just explain a little bit about you and the work that you do for the planet. Sure. You know, animal chaplain is always the word that people want me to unpack. So I'll start there. Okay. So, you know, if you've ever, uh, if you've ever heard anything about chaplains, uh, you know, we see them in the military, we see chaplains that are at hospitals or corporate chaplains, or there's even chaplains on cruise ships now. Uh, there's eco chaplains, all these different kind of things where we're trying to support a group of people that may be outside of a religious organization. So as an animal chaplain, that means I support all sentient beings, regardless of their species and regardless of their belief system. So that means I work with humans from all sorts of different walks of life, and I work with animals too, and the combination between the two. And as a spiritual educator, it means I help people. I work at a, a seminary in, in New York City, and I help people kind of go through the world's religions and traditions and philosophies and figure out, you know, how do these things interlink and, and how are they useful to us? And, you know, where do we make messes and what can we do about that? So I'm really interested in the intersections of spirituality and our lives from a very practical sense. I love that. And I think, yeah, when I, when I read Animal Chaplain, I'm like, it just reminds me of like, like a helper, like you just help it. Like if you, like you said with the animals, it's, they don't have a voice. So you're kind of giving them a voice too. It's just, it's beautiful. And I think so many people will relate to that because so many of us love animals, don't we? We're just... It does. And we've been really conditioned by various ideas uh, to think that animals are somehow less than or animals deserves, not not us, of course, probably listening yeah. to this podcast, but but as a society, at societies we have. And you know, kind of unpacking all of that and starting to understand that the human animal bond is incredibly strong and important and useful and essential, not only to our health, but to animals' health, planet health. You know, how that all gets entangled is, is really messy. So there's this kind of, you know, personal experience we have of, of perhaps having an animal in our home that we love. Mm -hmm. And what do we do when they're sick or when they pass or, you know, they get lost or, or all those things. But then there's these really big existential questions. And those are kind of some of the fun ones to get into, too, about if we're spiritual folks and we believe in certain spiritual values or ethics or values. What does that mean about how we treat the animals outside our homes too? So, you know, it's kind of both of those things. Wherever wherever animals are, I want to be. Me too. And what was really interesting was, I know you spoke to Chris on his podcast. So all my listeners know Chris because I'm always talking about him on my podcast. And Chris is actually who put me in touch with Sarah. So I'm so grateful for that. And my, as a lot of you know, Chris, my partner, has a podcast and that's how we met. So, you know, it's... It's just beautiful how we did. But I was listening to one of his episodes today and it was the wildebeest episode mm. and it was just fascinating. And I was driving home today and I was listening to the bit about when they migrate. And obviously I learned so much from them when Angie and Chris are talking. So, and Angie said, there's no research. Well, there's, there's research and the studies done, but they actually, the scientists don't know what makes them migrate. Like there's nothing to say, like a switch goes right, migrate today. It's just... And I was listening to it and I was thinking, you know, every animal has this beautiful gift. You know, they're very much connected to the earth and they have a, a dharma, you know, and we have a dharma too. And what I loved about it, I was thinking about it and I was like, you can't put a scientific study and get evidence for intuition. 
there, you, you just can't. So I thought it's the intuition. And I, I remember I voice note Chris today and I said, it's, I obviously he'll agree with this and, and see it that way. But when the wildebeest want to migrate south or back north, you know, it's intuition. You know, their intuition, that the inner compass, the inner light says it's time to move. And then when I relate that to humans, you know, the complexity that humans have ego. So the ego gets in the way with the intuition is, for example, when I was in Australia and I felt called to go back to university to study animal behavior. And that led me to Chris and download his podcast. That was an intuitive decision. So the wildebeest are doing the same and every other animal are doing the same. So I got a bit teary when I had that little, you know, connection today. And I just think that's what, you know, if you can connect to our planet and our animals and our plants, you start to see everything completely different. Yeah. You know, and I think what's really interesting now, Pippa, is, is this idea that science and spirituality are interlinked. They don't have to be in opposition. And that they, you know, I like to say they're two different languages for us trying to figure out the mysterious stuff that goes on around us. And prior to some of the, you know, scientific methods that we have now, some of them which I'm in favor of, and some of them which I'm not so in favor of if, if they hurt, you know, people. But, you know, prior to that, religions and philosophies and, you know, different ways of, of managing the mind or looking at the world, you know, that's how we got. Christianity and Buddhism and the lines that we <laughs> call Hinduism. Um, but all of these kind of things was trying to figure out what's going on around me, how do I deal with it, and how do I deal with conflicts? And so one of the things I really love to do is to go back into our sacred text and the Dhammapada or the Hebrew scriptures or uh, the Tao Te Ching and go back and say, all right, where are there critters in here? And what do we say about them? And how does that tell us that we've had these challenges since day one of how do we live when our needs or our wants um, you know, are in conflict? And I think that you're right about some of these things like intuition or thinking or sensing or that kind of spiritual connection we might have. There are certain things that studies can tell us about this. And we're, we, we're humans. We're going to try to figure it out, right? We're going to test it and test it and test it and try to figure out. But there are also things where, you know, I love the scientists who say, hey, we don't know. We have no idea why that's going on. You know, you look at lots of the um, explorations of space. Mm -hmm. They're like, we have no idea why there's all this, you know, going on. And if we can have mystery and curiosity, I think that those of us who are spiritual, um, you know, we have a way of a different language of being able to talk about that and posit some ideas um, and not get stuck in needing to have so much certainty. Yeah, it's like that openness to everything. Like you start to question. I always say as a kid, I would question everything. I remember my parents used to say, Pip, it's eight o'clock in the morning. Can you stop asking questions? Because as soon as I was awake, I was like, da, 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 da. it's a curious mind. Yeah. And, and I've always, you know, if, if I want to ask, even at like events or I was, you know, on a zoom and I'm learning from someone like, like yourself, I'll ask questions to understand. And obviously scientists, you know, I know Chris, Chris's mind's very much like that. He wants the proof, the evidence, but again, that curiosity is like, we don't need to know we're here to learn, you know, obviously on this life and what we want to learn in this life, but all what's out there and things that we don't have evidence and full proof, like you said, sir, it's, I like that unknown, but then a lot of, people on the planet who aren't really connected yet find it hard to connect the unknown they like to know everything it's that control absolutely isn't it? mm. yeah yeah and i think that's why we have so many beautiful spiritual practices mm. you know to try to deal with the unknown and to deal with um you know spirituality is not all beautiful bliss i'm in the lotus <laughs> no. position and i'm fully connected and everything's <laughs> fine like spirituality and, and religious traditions, you know, they teach us how to deal with the crap when it comes along. Like, what, what do you do with that? And I think asking questions, asking questions is how I got started. Um, you know, I was this six or seven year old kid who was walking home from school and I was a preacher's kid and I would see these little, uh, these little bodies on the side of the road, little chipmunks or squirrels that had been hit by cars. And it broke my heart. Mm -hmm. And I'd open up my little lunchbox and I'd stick these little buddies in there. 
And I'd take them home and I'd dig up my mother's rose bushes and I'd, I'd put them in there, you know, give them a little funeral. Like I'd see my dad give humans funerals because I thought, you know, we should do the same thing. And I would put them in and, you know, I'm a Star Wars freak. So I would end the, end the little <laughs> funeral with may the force be with you, chipmunk. Uh, and, you know, I had a lot of questions about how do we treat animals, you know, when they're gone, mm-hmm. you know, leaving them on the side of the road, like a smashed tin can was, you know, was, was not, um, was not okay with me. And I think that goes back to what you mentioned, people with intuition. Yeah. I had some sort of feeling of there's something wrong with this. Um, you know, and now whether my little service and my prayers and my force be with your chipmunk helped that animal in any way, I don't know. Our religious traditions give us a lot of different ideas about that. Um, perhaps the Eastern traditions are, are more favorable about, you know, what we do to a being upon their death and right after their death makes a difference. You know, there's in Buddhism, there's this idea of the bardo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we, if we lose a cat or a dog or, or even the, the wild living beings I care about, this idea that you can continue to have a connection with them and talk with them for seven days or more. Uh, and that, you know, doing blessings for animals can help them in their reincarnation. So we have, you know, kind of that idea. Mm-hmm. And then we have other things that come out of the Abrahamic traditions, you know, that, that, that give us other ideas. So we have been concerned about, you know, what, what, what do you do? How do you revere them? So the new book, Sacred Sendoffs, is really talking about that. Like, how do we handle animals when they're gone? Mm-hmm. And, and how do we deal with grief and loss in, in spiritual ways? Yeah, I, I always wonder that because obviously I've got my dog right here and he's like my son. Like, so people don't understand that. You know, I hear like, I know people don't mean it that way, but like my family, like he's just a dog. It's like, he's not just a dog. You know, he is a part of me. He's in my soul group. And, you know, he might have been a human in a past life. And that's the curious mind I have that, you know, he came into my life for a reason. And the story with him is unbelievable. It was meant to be. He was the last pup of the litter. His mum was called Pippa and it came up. I remember sat refreshing the page looking for a puppy and it came up. One puppy left. The original owners changed their mind. And I sometimes sit and think, imagine if that them owners wouldn't have changed their mind. He would be with them and I, ca- I can't contemplate it. I'm like, <laughs> he is mine. Yeah, better not to go there. Better no, not to but go there. He, yeah. he knows me and it's just so strange. You don't, again, like this language as well like you know we have this language we've created all these different languages to speak and you'll know sir when you're meditating and channeling you know a lot of language just comes from a knowing it's just a knowing sure it's pre-verbal yeah yeah and you know reading conversations with god i've just finished book two you know god says you've created all these languages you know i i speak telepathically and you know sometimes i can look at arlo my dog in the eyes and i know exactly what's up with him i know i know how he's feeling i know when he's sulking i know you just you just get to know them so well and it's funny how you went straight into how you got on the spiritual journey because i was thinking to ask you that so you obviously <laughs> reading my mind there and- yeah it it took a while for it to evolve for sure yeah you know it took into you know my 20s and my 30s and and you know really doing some more study but I think we have this at a very, at a very base level. And there was one study that was done, um, and it was in the U.S., but you know, I, I suspect it may be similar around the world. But it said that eighty-nine percent of people consider themselves spiritual to some extent, and that spirituality is important to their lives. That's eighty-nine percent. That's a lot. So you know, and and there have been a, some fascinating studies during the pandemic about what you're talking about um, with human animal, um, specifically human canine pairs, where they did one study of mindfulness activities. And so they asked uh, different groups of, you know, dog human pairs to do different types of meditation or mindfulness uh, together. And they also asked the humans to do meditation based on an attribute of the dog. So, you know, meditate on the softness of their fur meditate on your connection, meditate on their breathing. And they found out that there were significant benefits for humans 
And the humans also reported, on behalf of the dogs, of course, uh, that the dogs seemed happier. So when we're able to do these interspecies practices, when we're able to uh, not say, oh, it's just a dog, it can't do mindfulness. I suspect that, hey, my cats can do mindfulness much better than I can. They sleep like 50% of the day. (laughs) They meditate, they sleep, they chill out, they're relaxed, and they're, they're very inspiring. But you know, recently, uh, actually last year, we started a organization called the Compassion Consortium, which is this interspecies spiritual community. And we meet uh, one Sunday a month and we do these things. We do, you know, movement practices with goats and we do chanting with sheep mm-hmm. and all of these you know, using video. We don't get all the sheep, you know, in there, but uh, we do have one of our one of our uh, staff members who goes and does these things, and it, it's just fascinating the impact that it can have on us. So I'm not a fan of the just a dog, yeah, or just a cat, or just a squirrel, but I think it's a I think it's a defense mechanism, Pip. I think if we if we say that, we don't have to um, to deal with the pain. Yeah, it's like the, the connection. You're breaking that connection, isn't it? Like because it's a yeah. You're like, denying the connection. Well, you're rejecting yourself, not rejecting yeah. yourself, and denying you. You're denying that, you know, he's a part of me and, you know, yeah. I'm a part of him. We're all connected into this oneness, you know, and that's that's what I really started when I had my quantum shift almost two years ago. I just completely, it, you know, even Wayne Dyer speaks about, you know, he, he did the shift movie and he recommended a book, Quantum Change. And I remember I read Quantum Change and all these people like, had these quantum moments and quantum shifts and they would be in the shower on the toilet. They'd be out in nature. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was out in nature, thank God. But yeah, you know, and he says, he says in the ship, you can't explain it. I can't physically put it into words a lot of the time. I just explained that one day I went out for a walk with him and then I came back a different person. It just, something just went snap. And ever since then, I think two months after that, Chris came to the UK and he, then he had his quantum shift like two months after me. And yeah, we just, we've just not been the same since we've just, and then obviously the Ascension's just gone. And like you said, it's for me, it's the openness. It's the awareness. Like you, you, I can't go back to being that full. No, once your once your eyes are open, mm-hmm. It's very, very hard to shut them again. And I think that especially when we're looking at the connection between um, animals and some of the cruelty that's going on right now in, you know, closed windowless buildings in the name of science or in the name of hamburgers or, you know, any of those kind of things. Once once your eyes open to the Mm -hmm. connections, it's really hard you know, not to see it. And then you raise this other question of, oh, <laughs> if we're all one, like what, what products am I buying? And, you know, what am I supporting? And where's, where's my advocacy going? It, I think that that quantum shift, you know, we have a, a lot of different names for it in each, in each one of the traditions. There's a favorite, favorite line I have from, from Zen that says, uh, enlightenment is an accident. But practice makes you accident prone. I like that. <laughs> you know, so the more that we're meditating or praying or forest bathing or or kirtan or whatever floats your boat, whatever, you know, gets you connected, the more you create this kind of fertile soil for those aha moments. Yeah. That may surprise you on the toilet or out in nature or grocery shopping or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. I remember like having like a little awakening, you know, like a little, like an aha moment. And then I remember Chris and I would say, so what's next? Like, how can I get more awake? You, you don't think that you can. And then something comes along and you you think, wow, you know, and I think for me in the last year, being away from Chris physically, it's for, not I say forced, I don't like the word forced, but it has forced me to be alone, look in the mirror, do the trigger work, do the trauma work. And it's, you know, I, I would definitely say that I'm more peaceful, you know, not to say that things don't irritate me because I'm a human, things irritate me. And someone, I did a hypnotherapy session today because I've disqualified as a hypnotherapist, quantum healing hypnosis technique therapist. And I did a, a session today and her partner before we did the session, 
I said something and I went back on it and he said, no, you can say that. And what it was, I said, moving to New Zealand, it's like quieter. There's less people. I said, cause people really irritate me. And then my, my mind said, you can't say that. That's a judgment. And then I said, <laughs> oh, no, 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 not, not irritate. He said, no, you, you can say that people irritate you because you're allowed to say that, you know, it's not like I'm making a judgment about a person. It's just that a lot it's of people, a, it's an observation. Yeah. And it's, it's an not like, it's just because you get, I don't know, it's when you get more spiritual and you ascend, I, I just find it's the vibration barrier for me. It's, it's again, like you said, when you start to ascend, the like low vibration just doesn't resonate with you anymore because again, it's a frequency. It's like a radio channel. You know, you can't, it, it just doesn't mix. So, you know, I do find, I'm trying to find that middle ground of, you know, it's it's trying to be, what's the word that, that I found the other day and I was meditating. It's that compassionate, it's the being compassionate and open. And sometimes I find myself in this like dilemma in my head. Like I want to be like, Dalai Lama and all these spiritual masters who are just they like I used I used to think to myself they must have had such a peaceful life but then I thought there must have been things that annoyed them yeah so- you know there's a great Dalai Lama one there's a video on YouTube you can look up Google um Dalai Lama and mosquito okay and what an interview is asking him and says, all right, Dalai Lama, if if we're supposed to be having compassionate for all compassion for all creatures, what do you do about a mosquito? And the and it's a great question, and you know because you don't say, oh, what do you do about a furry cat, right? You, you know, let's go to something that you know irritates many humans and you know can have some uh, health concerns and all that. So the Dalai Lama says, well, the first time I'm going to kind of gently, you know, blow to see if he'll leave. And, and if the mosquito doesn't leave, the next time I'm going to kind of like move my hand, you know, and, uh, and, and try to, you know, kind of get him to leave. And the third time, well, <laughs> you know, something I'm paraphrasing, of course, in my own language, the Dalai Lama, but he's speaking to even our most uh, revered and wise sages have these questions and have these conflicts and these ethical dilemmas of, you know, what do you, what do you do? And how do you, how do you engage in that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, I think that we can, we can look to um, how, you know, to their honesty, to their Authentic- honesty of as well, yeah. authenticity yeah. of, you know, this isn't about being perfect. No. I think if it's about being perfect, then we're in bypass. We're in spiritual bypass. I don't yeah. know if you've heard that term. I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're in this kind of everything's everything's awesome. Everything's rosy. Um, you know, everything's good. Everything's perfect, and that's just not the reality of the world. That's kind in. of like a it is a denial, isn't it? You denying something that it it is. It's and and if you look at any of the folks who started our spiritual traditions, okay, you, you, let's let's look at it. let's look at Moses, Muhammad, Jesus, uh, you know, the Buddha, any of these folks, they started their path because something was really not right mm-hmm. around them. Something was really not right. And they said, you know, I need to, and most of the time, you know, it's injustice of some sort and, and people being, people being hurt in some way. Yeah. And so they say, you know, they have this aha moment <laughs> or a series of moments or this connection with divinity or connection with an inner self or true self or, you know, whatever, whatever language we want to use, it doesn't, doesn't really matter, but they have this moment. So I think being spiritual requires us to engage with the world around us. We can't just leave it, but it allows us to self-regulate better Mm-hmm. To not end up, you know, that sobbing mess on the floor saying, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so it's about balance. It's so much yeah. about balance. You know, make your environment something that supports you and your practices that support you. And also, you know, as as our, our Buddhist friends again would tell us, I'm on a Buddhist streak today, I guess, <laughs> but, um, you know, no mud, no lotus. Mm. It, there's going to be some mess. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes that I read the other week was authenticity is being at peace with all of our imperfections. Mm, because well said. 
I read that after I'd read a chapter in Conversation with God and he said, you know, there's no right and wrong here. I'm just, you know, I'm an observer through you. I'm here to experience through you. So, you know, and me and Chris got onto a really deep topic in that book about where's the fine line with what's good and bad. You know, who puts the line of what's good, what's bad. And that's that really hit me. I thought, you know, there's so many of us that say that's wrong that he shouldn't have done that that's wrong that's awful you know he he should be killed for that there's so much judgment again you know but then everyone's tolerance is different so as god said in the chapters where do i put the line you know so it is is stealing okay but then like arson is isn't you know and i yeah I just yeah, sat and, it and i thought yeah yeah and the idea that there is a line it's, I think, something to question too, where, you know, we see everything, you know, we look at gender, we look at sexuality, we look at our thoughts, every, everything is a spectrum. The duality. You know, it, yeah, it's not, it's not a, this kind of either or kind of thing. And I think that when we can remove, now this is something I learned in 12-step spirituality. I'm a person in long-term recovery and 12-step was, was a big part of, of my journey uh, earlier. And, you know, there's this idea of you don't use right and wrong, you use, you know, healthy, unhealthy skillful, unskillful, you know, what kind of other pairs can we use? Because right and wrong just shuts, just shuts it down. Mm-hmm. If something's unhealthy, then I can work to be healthier. Yeah. If something's unskillful that I said, then I can learn to communicate better, but you don't really learn how to become writer mm-hmm. or wronger. Yeah. <laughs> right? that, everyone's is different. Yeah. And it, and it just, it's not really useful. It's what we do. Our brain, you know, processes 60 to 70,000 thoughts per yeah. day. Mm. We have to sort. We have to make, you know, our survival and our biological e- evolution, you know, helps us make very quick snap judgments. Is this safe? Is this not safe? Mm. Do, you know, do I fight, flee, freeze? You know, do I do any of these things? Yeah. But, but I think that spirituality and religious traditions and philosophical thinking, these provide us that ability to say, okay, I had this snap judgment. (laughs) That dude is wrong. (laughs) And then what do we say about, okay, what, what, you know, what's going on in my body? What do you know, the heart's probably, you know, beating real fast. We might be sweating. Mm -hmm. The face is flushing, you know, take some breaths, sit down. Let's, let's do a little inquiry Mm -hmm. in into this and, you know, see if we can, come out. I do a lot of work with people on that around animals Yeah, of our belief about what animals are for. Mm-hmm. And one of the words that I hate, and I'm going to say the word hate because the <laughs> feeling is that strong and it's okay for me to say that right now. Uh, I hate the word pest. Yeah. I really, you know, the idea that something is a pest. And someone makes money from pest control. Oh, that must annoy yeah, you. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's true that we have, we have, you know, human wildlife conflicts. That's true. Um, but just to categorize someone as a pest um, just, you know, creates this idea that it's okay for them to be killed. Mm. And, you know, I, 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 let's, let's just face it. I'm the lady with the Tupperware grabbing the mice in my house <laughs> before the cats can and putting them outside. And I realize that may sound extreme to some listeners, uh, but you know, spirituality is how I got there. Of why is my life of more value uh, than theirs? Now there's things I can do to keep those mice out and make my house less habitable. I can clean up the holes. You know, I can stuff the areas where they're getting in. That's my responsibility Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that my home uh, isn't inviting (laughs) to people I don't want in it. So, you know, how, how do I do that rather than just to say, oh, pest, you oh, know? Kill, yeah, just kill yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And that's tough work. But, you know, it's, it's really it's really tough inquiry. But, uh, we, you know, we have a lot of sacred texts that talk about that. And, and, and what do we do? Yeah, there's two things there. There's one thing that me and Chris always mention is instead of saying hate and don't like something, we say doesn't resonate or it resonates, doesn't resonate, resonates. Because, again, like it's like an observation we made. And I know we we touched on this last week. We had a chat about, you know, where's the fine line with, you know, killing something that's you taking yeah. that, you know, if that mouse has come to live how many years on this planet and then you kill it, you're kind of like interrupting its life path. So it's, I know we got onto this topic and Wayne spoke about this on one of his lectures. He said, who am I to kill the animal when, 
you know, and it just got me thinking. I thought you're actually interrupting, you know, the, the circle and balance of life, really. And yeah. I know there's obviously the the argument of, you know, people who are very much meat eaters and they say, you know, well, if we didn't eat as much meat, you know, all these cattle are just being bred for us to eat. And I get that, you know, all of us need, most of us need feeding with meat. So, it, you know, all these, there's so much reproduction of it. But I always think to myself, well, hang on, if we all just said, meatless Monday say all of us every single person on the planet said meatless Monday that would just slash the you don't realize how much like a small little thing can do such a huge impact it it can an article was just released um this past week about uh, beyond meat and uh, impossible burgers Mm. just them existing and people purchasing you know from that has saved one million animal lives wow so this idea that there's just cattle out there uh, that need to be eaten is a little bit of an error in, in our thinking because if we if we stop breeding them, um, using the things that we do to female cows, yeah. right, which is not pleasant, we just won't go there, um, then they won't be there. So you know we it, it's it's very fascinating the the idea of domesticating and mm-hmm. having dominion over animals and believing that everything is is put here for our use. Um, you know, it, it's it's dicey to kind of look at that. So as I'm really, really excited to see a lot of the plant-based stuff ramping up, mm. um, you know, so that we can stop cutting down the Amazon for grazing, you know, so that we can stop polluting the waters with fishing nets that are discarded by commercial fishing. And, you know, that that's a whole nother episode mm. and a whole nother conversation. But I do think, that if we say that we're living with spiritual values, and if we say that we're, we won't, you know, we have this oneness, then we do have a responsibility to kind of look, kind of mm-hmm. look at that. And like you say, make some decisions. They just went um, in New York City in schools. They have vegan Fridays. Amazing. With little kids. So they're fascinating. So then they can just have a choice yeah. and a little bit of education um, about you know, how they might want to live. And, you know, our kids are the ones who are inheriting this planet. So, you know, if they had them, if they have a lot of information about the intersections, you know, I think that's fabulous. They're also getting a lot of mindfulness in school now too. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's really helpful. So like you said, it, it's messy. It's really, yeah, it's really messy. so much. And like you said, you, you, you wipe one species out and it just affects the whole chain. Like that's just, it, you can go on. There's so much to talk about on that topic. Cause it yeah. just, you know, and I remember I had my hypnosis past life regression two weeks ago and one of my lives, I went back to like, you know, tribal times, probably a couple of thousand years ago. Cause I didn't have, I didn't, didn't wear much. It was just, I just had something to cover <laughs> my private parts. Yeah. And, you know, the, the hypnotherapist was asking, you know, what do you eat? I said, well, we go and kill, you know, like lives, you know, like a livestock or whatever it was. And I remember, I remember the ritual we did, you know, I remember like the whole tribe would like come around and like say this prayer and, and thank this animal for like, you know, feed. It was like really fascinating what I saw in this life. And I thought that's how we used to live, obviously, because we would kill one animal and then it would feed the whole tribe for like two, three weeks, say. But like now it's just, everything's just so need it now, want it now, want it tomorrow, quick, quick, yeah. quick, quick, quick. I want it now. But again, like touching onto that deeper level is that there's so many of us in the power, the hungry, the money, the ego. And then we don't allow our mind to open up to like, hang on, I have a choice in this. Is, you know, ha- does this resonate with me? Is this healthy? Is this unhealthy? And we're just in this society like driven tunnel vision and when you start to open the blinkers and you look further afield you then start to realize oh you know that did taste good that vegan burger was really nice and you know mcdonald's now brought a vegan burger out i think that's amazing because you can see the i'm getting goosebumps as i talk about stuff like this but you can see how like you know a lot of companies mcdonald's make billions so they've got to make changes because people are starting to eat more vegan eat more vegetarian i do try my best to eat more vegetarian you know i've cut red meat red meat out i don't eat red meat anymore and it's not we're not here to say stop meat don't eat meat ever again it's making small changes and as you grow spiritually 
you'll start to make different choices that again are healthy for you that resonate with you that align with that align you if I ate a steak now I would be off balance for about two weeks I just know it because I just wouldn't feel right it would everything's energy and again it doesn't align with me so you start to really go within and you ask yourself what does my body want what 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 does my body need and you start listening to your body and that's another topic for another episode as well it's just there's so many avenues it is and and when spirituality is embodied and when we're thinking about it not just being something kind of hanging out in the uh i heard someone once said we spend most of our lives kind of with our center of focus outside and in front of our foreheads Mm. you know thinking 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 and when we can get into our bodies and consider, you know, what am I doing? Um, what am I putting in my body? Uh, that's a hard one for me. I love cola. Um, I love pop soda, whatever you call it, wherever you're listening from. Um, you know, that's, I love sugar. Uh, and, and I also <laughs> know that ramping down, like throwing in a lot of sugar and then sitting down to meditate, is just a recipe for frustration. Oh, yeah. And yet I do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, looking at where are our growing edges, where are the things that we're um, belligerent about? I'm belligerent about my sugar. Uh, and I know I'm belligerent about it because I know that it's something that's that's out of out of alignment, but I'm just not quite ready yet. So these kind of conversations, I think that you know the reason that religious uh, religions and spiritual traditions started was because we had people in groups around different values of things they thought were important, and they were interested in introspection and curious questions. To go back to the beginning of our podcast here, you know they were interested in a whole lot of things, and they gathered based on, you know, how do we live together with all of these things going? So, you know, I think that that's what living a spiritual life, regardless of which of these traditions that we're in, is about having great conversations with each other about where we're doing great, where we think we've got some room for improvement, and listening to each other for, you know, different ideas that we're just kind of willing to consider. <laughs> you know, not preaching at each other, uh, but, you know, what, what, does Pippa say that has opened something up for me? What have I said that has opened up something for Pippa or you who are listening to the podcast? You know, what did we say that felt shiny? What Mm. felt interesting? What felt like you might want to take it into your practice and think a little more about it or what really might have angered you or frustrated you? Mm. That's good fertile area too for, I disagreed with something they said. And you know, what, what's that about? What's going on inside of you? Um, you know, and how do you deal with disappointment or frustration or, you know, conflict that goes on? So I think, I think that's what we've got to do. I don't think anybody has all the answers, um, but I think we all have a piece of it. Mm. You know, we all have a piece of that oneness We do, and we just got to keep our, you know, keep our peace growing and becoming more compassionate and more willing to see. Yeah. I was just thinking, as you were saying then, like these masters that we you know, that, that aren't here anymore in the physical form, you know, they probably weren't perfect. They probably loved sugar and loved, you know, they had their little guilty pleasures because again, we, we came to be a human and humans are, you know, we're not perfect. We come from a perfect source, but then, you know, we would have, we would have <laughs> stayed the, there. Yeah, you know? There's the paradox. There's yeah. the paradox is, you know, we hear in many of the traditions we're perfect and we're imperfect. Mm. And can we can we allow that to exist that we can be both of? Can we can we get rid of some of the Greek philosophers that told us that there was either or? And can we switch into a state of both and? I am damn perfect and I'm really imperfect too. Mm. Yeah. That's like such a powerful message because I know a lot of my clients I work with, they're just striving for per- perfection. And I say, you're never gonna get it. Like you literally, like you said, it's like you've got that light in front of your head and you're constantly trying to grab it and you just keep going it's like it's like a piece of chocolate on a string and you can't yeah. get it and why do we want it why do yeah. we want to be perfect so what what is this value that we've placed on the idea of perfect mm. and we we can look into to christianity a little bit you know yeah. for its influence in not necessarily in what jesus said mm. but in what evolved from some of his sayings and some of his ideas into an idea 
yeah. you know, perfect. But we'll find it in other places too, not just to throw it down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to find striving. Uh, you know, in the 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 Bhagavad Gita tells us, don't get attached to the fruits. Like, don't get attached to this stuff. But we're going to find striving, and we're going to continue to do that. And that's part of the improvement. Uh, there, there's your other paradox. We're always trying to improve, and yet we're perfect the way we are. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, right. It's it, that's another mess to open up in 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 the philosophy. I know the the best one is Wayne. Have a mind open to everything and attached to nothing. Because mm. we have these yeah. this attachment to things, don't we? Like you know, I'm, I've got an attachment to chocolate. I love chocolate. I have an attachment to speaking because I love speaking. But it's like it's removing the attachment. And I always say again, with people say like you know, I'm suffering. You know, I know a lot of the masters say there is no such thing as suffering. You know, before you came to earth, you chose challenges to help you grow. But these are just words that we say, you know, a challenge, you know, where's that come from? Where's the word challenge come from? So we associate challenge with something really hard. We, we you know, relate to suffering as something like grief. So again, it's releasing all that attachment to it all. And it's just, it's just a word. Because again, like think about that study with the two plants, you know, you said all these crap words to one plant and then all the loving words to the other plant. They both. I know. I feel so bad for that plant that gets the crap words. I know. I feel, <laughs> I feel bad in any, any kind of study that, so there was this fascinating study uh, working with bush babies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, little critters who'd been so injured. cute. <laughs> and so they had some people who did intercessory prayer. So intercessory prayer is just a word for when you pray for another person. And so they had these people who were really skilled in that uh, pray every day for four weeks for the bush babies, that they would heal, that their wounds would get smaller, that they would stop um, self-hurting themselves. Mm-hmm. They were in captivity. So they, you know, they were doing the things that animals who are captive do. Mm-hmm. And they did this study and they found out that the bush babies who had been prayed for, uh, their wounds were smaller. They had stopped uh, injuring themselves and they were in better health than the ones who did or who, who did not receive yeah. prayer. So I'm like, fascinating study, completely explains why we do loving kindness meta prayer mm-hmm. in, in traditions. And at the same time, I'm really upset about the bush babies who didn't. didn't get the prayer so that we could prove, right? That yeah. it, So I, I kind of hope that at the end of that but study, I wonder if that, that they, was, you know, then they, they went they and prayed knew. for those. Yeah. Like, I wonder <laughs> you know, if them bush babies knew like, oh, well, my, my purpose in this lifetime was to not have the prayers. Like, I always think about that. Well, that was their mission. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's possible. I, I don't know. I don't know. So, you know, I'm fascinated by studies and then I'm also like, okay, go fix the people that you didn't, you know, yeah. <laughs> the beginning so that, so that we can kind of even, it, even it, just, it out, not, not to withhold compassion. You know, I do believe that, 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 you know, I, I love the idea of Dharma and I love the ideas of purpose and I love all of that. And I also um, want to make sure that we're spreading compassion as far as we each can, that we're not denying um, that because we think someone's job is to suffer. And we can yeah. see that dark side kind of happen sometimes where mm-hmm. we can say this person's job is to suffer. And not that's not what you were saying, but I've I've heard that in, you know, in different conversations. Yeah. And I'm like, well, if it is, compassion towards them can't hurt. And it's compassion for yourself. I remember a story Wayne always tells when he speaks, only when he spoke on stage. And he said, you know, if you squeeze an orange, what would come out? Not pineapple mm-hmm. juice, not apple juice, orange juice. So if someone squeezed you, what would come out of you? So I thought about that and I thought, okay, if someone came up to me now and said, right, Pip, I'm going to squeeze you, what would come out? And if you ask yourself that every day, you know, I want love and compassion and happiness yeah. and joy to come out of me. So yeah. that's not to say some days a bit of, you know, you'll be angry or disappointment will come out because <laughs> a little bit of orange gunk yeah, comes out. <laughs> you know, but it's to think about, you know, it's just great to relate to something like that because yeah. you know what is coming out. Your your soul essence is pure love. Yeah, you know, it's, it's all a, them it's layers. It's a very useful, mm-hmm. a very useful illustration. I think I think Dyer was very, very good at making those taking concepts that we find, age-old concepts, and really putting them in language. Mm. That we can understand. And I think that's why we have such a proliferation of, of books and of videos and movies and all that, you know, since the 1960s or so is, you know, we've, we found a lot of really talented teachers who, you know, what, 
Once the Eastern traditions came over in the late 1800s for the Parliament of World Traditions, right? When that when that happened, mm-hmm. and all of these ideas started kind of mixing and mingling, and we got people who were able to articulate them in ways that modern ears can really hear them. So it can be a really great entry point into um, into these concepts that that you're talking about on your podcast and that I'm teaching at the seminary. Yeah, I love it. So before we finish, is there anything else that you want to tell the listeners? I want to just touch before we do finish about some of the practices that you do do, you know, to help you connect. Oh, I have so many. That's the, <laughs> that's the occupational hazard of teaching in an interfaith, interspiritual um, seminary. So I am not someone who can sit every morning on the same meditation cushion and be very disciplined. I have friends who do that. It's amazing. But for me, it really depends on what challenges I'm facing during the day. And I use the word challenges. <laughs> uh, what, what different things are coming up for me in the day? Most mornings, I'll do a little meditation with squirrels as I drink my tea and look out the window and connect with the natural world to start my day, not pick up my phone and immediately go towards that. Then I'll do a practice called I Ching that comes from Taoism, which is a divination practice that folks who uh, love tarot should should try. And that helps me uh, kind of dig into what the day holds for me uh, based on what the coins come up. Then you you do a reading out of, out of the book and, and it asks you some different questions. During the day, there'll be um, periods of meditation. Uh, I, I do... You know, I had not prayed for years and years and years, but I brought that back recently, uh, probably the last last five or 10 years. So I do some loving kindness prayers for people. Um, and I also do, you know, a lot of different things with groups. Mm-hmm. So I'll do, you know, kirtan chanting is a beautiful kind of thing. Or, you know, I may do some yoga during the day. You know, it's a mixed bag, Pippa. So, exactly. you know, I think that um, being able to, to have this really great toolbox, to use an overused word, but this this toolbox of all these different spiritual practices uh, that I can draw from during the day. If if, if I'm really hyper, <laughs> if I've had too much sugar, uh, I may need some meditation. I may need a sacred nap. I love sacred nap. It looks different to everyone, doesn't it? It's just yeah, it really does. So I, I think that what I encourage people and my students to do is to you know whatever. Uh, is working for you and get to, like you said earlier, Pippa, get to know your body. Yeah. Also get to know your spirit, get to know mm-hmm. your mind, your mental state. And the more of these things you can try, even if they sound weird or scary, or they're not for me at the beginning, the more tools you'll have. Yeah. And I always say to clients, you know, there's this real emphasis on mindset, drill it into you, do it for 21 days and it'll become a habit. And I kind of get that, but then it's like, you know, you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself to have this 21 days of every day I've got to do this. And at this certain time, and I just say, nope, you know, consistency is really good. Like I've got one client this weekend, she's just overwhelmed with like doing trauma work and trigger work. And I said, you know what, take a break. Don't do any of it. Just have Friday night, Saturday night with your husband and your children. And she's like, okay, deal. And that's the intent. Mm. It's the intent of practice. Mm-hmm. It's the intent of what we're trying to get. It isn't about doing the specific thing. It's about being. that's getting attached to the fruits again. Mm. Change it's doing. About, yeah. yeah. It's about the state that you're getting. Now at the seminary that I teach, we do do that. It's amazing at One yeah. Spirit where uh, our students all of September will do Hindu practices. October, they do Buddhist. We that. go through uh, and then they do Judaism, then Christianity, then Islam, then indigenous practices, right? And done in a way that we're, we're very respectful around culture as well and, and what we're yeah. doing. But, you know, they will practice something for a month and then see if something, you know, sticks with them. But then after that amount of days, there's the ability to jettison it if it's not or keep it if it is. So I think that... Um, <laughs> I would, I would say that I would quote Yoda because I haven't yet on our, <laughs> on our podcast, you know, do or do not, there is no try, you know, just do practices, you know, mm-hmm. do, do, do them and, and see if they work for you. And then, you know, if, if you're trying is stressing you, then try something else. Yeah, exactly. Just, I say just flow. And if you don't yeah. feel like you flow and you feel like you're forcing something, take a step back yeah. but this this like I said anyone listening this is your path this you know I said we, we can all hold hands as we walk down this path but sometimes yeah. we'll have to let go because I'll get further along you'll get further along 
but it's having the compassion for where you are. You know, I always have this vision of me looking back on the past, say someone's next to me, like on a path, you know, in, in spirit. And I just say, I'll wait and let them catch up. And I'm, I'm very mm-hmm. good at that. That's the compassion in me. But again, you know, the comparison doesn't mean I'm ahead of you. Doesn't mean I'm better than you. Doesn't mean you're below me. It's, yeah. You're on a different road up the same yeah. mountain. Yeah. 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 So, you know, but then people who are on the journey is just having compassion for where people are on the journey. And like us educators, like I actually had a psychic read the other day and she said, I'm a spiritual educator. And I thought that was weird because so are you, you know, I love sharing wisdom. If I learn something, I love to share it, you know? And that's, and that's how we learn from each other, you know, and to, I think there's value also, if something starts to get hard, Mm. Uh, to try sticking with it too. So again, I've, I've, I've spoken to another paradox here. <laughs> uh, you know, discipline is great and so is fluidity. Yeah. So if we can take both of those ideas and and really look at ourselves with, with gentleness, mm. but also, you know, not, not too much complacency sometimes yeah. too, if we might be missing an opportunity. Um, you know, so I think it's all of these things, Pip. I think my last, you know, so my answer to this last question is, is messy and spirally (laughs) and conflicting, um, in the things that I've said. And that is really my experience of spirituality. I just could talk to you for hours, so I really could. (laughs) Maybe we'll do it. We'll do this again. We'll do this (laughs) again in the future. I'll bring you up for a part two and yeah, I just, I know the listeners are going to really love listening to this and I'm going to put all of your information in the show notes, your book. I'm going to put your um, website on there and obviously where to find you on the socials, but you, you, you inspire me so much. Well, thank you, Pippa. And you inspire me as well. And thank you for continuing to spread all this information to your listeners. It's so important. And it's so just beautiful to connect with you. You, you, uh, you have such a great energy and vibration and compassion. And it's really been an honor to talk with you. Thank you. That warms my heart a lot. Thank you. I'm going to just sit with that for a second and just receive it. That's what I'm trying to do is just allow things to come in and just receive them. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I really hope everyone's enjoyed it. So any questions, like I said, if anything resonated or didn't resonate, just reach out to us because we love that. We just love having everything because, again, everyone's so different. So, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. And if you want more clarity or you want us to talk about a different topic, just reach out and we'll be happy to respond. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, everybody. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.